Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Welcome to this series, Unpacking the Mystery of Pentecost. This is Deacon Dave Peckle of St. Basil's, and I'm happy that you have joined me for this uh, three-part series on Unpacking the Mystery of Pentecost. Everything I do in this series is actually taken from a book written by Father Renero Cantalamesa. The book title is The Mystery of Pentecost. Father Cantalamesa is a preacher to the papal household and has been for several decades here. A well-known, powerful preacher, a theologian, and teacher. And I've taken his book and read it and... uh, Because he is a theologian, I decided I could uh, take what he wrote and put it in simple everyday language. And that is what we will be doing uh, in this series. Uh, The thoughts that I present are contalamesis, except for my opening uh, little log here. So let let us look at uh, the Holy Spirit and what we know about it before we dive into the mystery of Pentecost itself. Uh, We don't really know much about the Holy Spirit, and uh, if you think back on what we've been taught as Catholics, we have very little teaching in our lives about the Holy Spirit. So it's important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit not only is the third person of the Holy Trinity, and we have all these various images of it, but the Holy Spirit is as critical for us in our spiritual lives as Jesus Christ was. And he sent us the Holy Spirit so that we would grow in holiness and overcome the temptation of sin in our lives and fulfill the mission of the church to proclaim the love of God to all we meet. And if you look at the Holy Spirit, probably the best way to understand what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is by looking at it in the Scriptures. And we see the Holy Spirit in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When God created everything, and we see the earth is vast and formless, there is no sun, there is no moon, there is no stars, there is no life, and the earth is covered with water. And we see a mighty wind sweeping over the water. And as this wind blows over the water, it begins to move the waters back, and land begins to appear, and life begins to appear. Of course, all of this at the word of God. But as the action of the Holy Spirit on the earth, through the Word of God, that is making all these things come to life. And there is the key critical thing for us to understand, this coming to life through the action of the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit in Scripture throughout the Old Testament coming upon different people at different times, but for very particular reasons, a specific purpose that God intended that God pour his spirit upon them, and they began to do and carry out the plan of God. We see the Holy Spirit on Abraham, on Isaac, on Jacob and Jacob's son. We see the Holy Spirit on Moses. And although we don't have that descriptive outpouring of the Holy Spirit on any of those, as we do on, say, for instance, King David, where 
he was anointed by Samuel, and it says the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. We do have that image on some of the people. We know the Holy Spirit enveloped Gideon. We know the Holy Spirit was poured upon Samson. But for those early patriarchs of the church, we know the Spirit was with them. And I think one of the reasons we can know that is if we look at Moses in a passage in Scripture where Moses is choosing choosing 70 elders to help him rule the people because God directed him to. God tells him that he will take a portion of the Spirit that is upon Moses and put it upon those 70 elders. So we know that Moses had the Spirit. And we, and we also understand if we look at the words and the actions of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, that they too were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit in the, all the prophets as they proclaim the Word of God. We see Ezekiel's prophecy. We see this mighty wind that we saw at the beginning of creation with an, a vision of Ezekiel of the dry bones where Ezekiel, God brings him out and he looks over this vast dry land with dry bones, bones scattered everywhere. And the same spirit, this same wind rushes over those bones and they begin to join together and muscles and flesh and sinews come upon them and they become living beings. And again, this image of this transforming power of this mighty wind, this mighty spirit changing us into living, breathing, spiritual people. And then God comes along, and he makes a promise to his people that it will no longer be particular people at a particular time for a very particular reason that receive the Spirit. But he tells us in the prophecy of Joel that his Spirit will be poured upon all mankind. And we hear Peter using those same words when he came out of the upper room and people said they were drunk. And he said, no, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. So he is pointing to that exact prophecy to say, this is what happened in that upper room. But before the upper room experience, Jesus comes to us in the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 33. And he tells us he's going to make a new covenant with us. He's going to do new something to change our hearts so that we will follow God by an inner desire not through the strength of our own willpower, not through our own attempt at holiness, but because something springs from inside of us, changing us so that we automatically begin to fulfill the will of God. And he said he's going to change our hearts so that will happen to us in this prophecy. And then he comes to us in a prophet that comes roughly 30 years after Jeremiah, we have the prophet Ezekiel, and Ezekiel in his prophecy in chapter 36 says, God saying through Ezekiel says to us that he's going to change our hearts by pouring the Holy Spirit into us. So here we have this description of this Holy Spirit that's going to come into us, it's going to change us, making us holy men and women of God, following God's will finding the meaning and purpose of our life so that we are able to proclaim just as the disciples proclaimed on that day of Pentecost that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ lives. We could proclaim the love of God. We could talk about forgiveness of sins. We could talk about mercy. We could talk about love. We could talk about how God desires 
all of us, not to perish, but to have eternal life. And that life given to us through the gift of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's begin unpacking the mystery of Pentecost as it's given to us by Cantalamesa. Normally during our liturgies on Pentecost, you will hear Pentecost described as the birth of the church. So happy birthday, church. And like all birthdays, we celebrate for a moment. We eat a little cake, we drink some punch, we wait for another year and another birthday, and we do the same thing all over again. But Pentecost is much more than that. It's meant to be much more than the birth of the church. It certainly was a time of great evangelization. But Pentecost, intended by God, was to be a perpetual event in our lives. A perpetual event. Something that happens to us each and every day as the Spirit comes upon us, empowering us, changing us, transforming us. If you begin to look at Pentecost in the church, and we begin to look at what our church teaches us, let us look at the sacrament in which we receive the Holy Spirit, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of confirmation, the sacrament of holy orders. In each one of those, hands are laid upon us, and we are receiving the Holy Spirit. And the church teaches us this about sacraments. It said they produce or realize in us, in us, what they indicate with signs. They produce or realize what they indicate with signs. I think the easiest vision we have of this is our own sacrament of the Eucharist. In our Mass, each and every time we come together, the presider during the liturgy of the Eucharist will extend his hands over the gifts and he calls down the power of the Holy Spirit to transform those gifts into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And after he does that, he will pick up a host. And he uses the same words that Jesus used in that upper room, telling us that this is his body and this is his blood that will be shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. He will pick up a chalice and tell us, using the same words of Jesus Christ, saying this is his blood, the blood of the new covenant. And as those words are being proclaimed, they are being transformed. What they indicate with signs is what they are producing. So as we look at Scripture, the Word of God, the Word of God is used at that moment as the bread and wine is being transformed. The very words spoken by Jesus are being proclaimed. And as those words are being spoken, it's important for us to understand that God by His nature is alive. And the Word of God is alive by its nature. And it's real for us. And that it means and aims to make present to us what it accomplished 
at that time in the past. So as those words are being spoken to us on Pentecost, about Pentecost, we're not celebrating a historical event, but we're celebrating a spiritual event, the fulfilling of God's promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured upon us and would change our hearts. So that as that words are being proclaimed in church, talking about the Spirit coming upon the disciples, that Spirit is moving through the church and coming upon all of us so that we, like the disciples, will have the Spirit poured upon us. You also have to realize, if you think about it, a few weeks ago, we heard another giving of the Holy Spirit, different than this one with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost with the mighty wind rushing through the room. One is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. These are the readings we will hear on Pentecost Sunday. That happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit swept through that upper room. But the event earlier, that giving of the Holy Spirit, was described by John in chapter 20, verse 22. When Jesus appears to them on the day of the resurrection, the evening of the resurrection, that Jesus comes into that up that room where they were, even though the doors were locked, and he breathes upon them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This event takes place in that same upper room, but it happened 50 days earlier, this outpouring of the Spirit. So when was the Holy Spirit given to the disciples? It's a question we could ask ourselves. Was it on the day of the Pentecost? 50 days after the resurrection? Or was it was that evening of the day of the resurrection when he breathed upon them? Why was it given twice, you might ask? Was it to signify some different kind of spiritual gift? Some singling out, singling out of a particular people, like it was in the Old Testament? Was it to show us we could receive the Spirit in different ways? All good questions, and hopefully all will be answered after the end of these three sessions. But understand one thing beyond a doubt. What Jesus poured upon those in the upper room on Pentecost, and what he breathed upon them 50 days earlier was the same Spirit given to the disciples. It was not two spirits. It was the same Spirit that we have been given at baptism and in our confirmation. Today's theologians tell us that these two events are not referring to different means by which we receive the Spirit by which we receive the gifts of the Spirit. But there are two ways that the Spirit transforms us. So let us look at these two events. If there are two different ways the Spirit is transforming us, then we need to begin to understand so we can invite that transforming power into our lives. So if we begin to understand what is happening at each event, we can begin to understand 
our own desire for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon us. So let us begin by looking at what Cantalamesa tells us in Luke's description of the Pentecost event happening 50 days after the resurrection. This spirit was given to them and given to the church for its ministry to grow, go out into the whole world and make disciples of all the nations, which is what Jesus told the disciples at his ascension. This Pentecost and Acts is the understanding that we will hear almost every time we go to Mass on Pentecost Sunday. But again, to understand, it is much more than just the church's mission. It is our mission, our mission to go out and preach, our mission to evangelize. We are told by the church that we are empowered by a baptism, empowered by a baptism to evangelize, to spread the good news. So as we look at the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, it is important for us to understand the timing of this event. That day in that upper room is called Pentecost because it happened on the same days the Jewish people were in Jerusalem celebrating their feast of Pentecost. Their feast was a celebration of the harvest. It was a secular celebration of the yield of the harvest given to the people they believed as a gift from God. But it was also a religious celebration, a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses. They celebrated on their Pentecost the event on Mount Sinai when Moses was given the law. And it's important to understand what was happening to Moses on that mountain, the events that were happening. Because Moses went up the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain so the people couldn't see Moses. But on the mountain there was thunder, there was fire, there was a rumbling, and the people knew that Moses was encountering God. But that event on Mount Sinai, happening between Moses and God, where Moses received the law written on tablets of stone. Our church writers tell us that that event of Moses happened 50 days after the beginning of their exodus from Egypt. Understand that significance of those 50 days. 50 days after the Pentecost, with the lamb of lamb that they were told to slaughter, the blood of that lamb was put on their doorposts and on the lintels of their home, so that that night the angel of death that swept through Egypt spared them. The blood of the lamb kept them safe and freed them from safe slavery. Understand the significance of the symbolism of what is happening on Mount Sinai, and what is happening on Pentecost. That 50 days after the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified, where His blood was the blood that set us free from the slavery of sin, the Holy Spirit is poured upon the disciples in that upper room. 
the same day the Jews were celebrating that same event, the same blood of what they believe was a sacrificed lamb. Do you understand how that symbolism is important to us? In the Acts of the Disciples, we see the same image. We see fire. We see wind. We see the voice of God coming. We see them conversing in tongues with God. The law was written on their hearts that day, just as it was written on the tablets on that same day when Moses was on Mount Sinai. Luke uses those same symbols, wind and fire, seen on the original day, to remind us that nothing has changed, that God is the same as He was ever, always will be, that He desires us to change our heart. He desires us to be obedient, because now the law is going to be written on our hearts, and we will automatically follow them. That desire is a gift of the Spirit to us. What we learn about Pentecost from Luke's Acts and account, Luke's account in Acts, is a view of the Spirit, divine power and work. In first, we see it in the ministry of Jesus, when the Spirit came upon him at his baptism. We went into the desert for 40 days, and he comes out in power, proclaiming the kingdom of God. The same thing we see happening to the disciples as they spill out of that upper room, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, proclaiming that baptism is the way to receive the Spirit and repent. That is the mission of all of us, the mission that is handed to us, to proclaim the good news to everyone we meet. So we learn from that first day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is seen given to us to carry out this work of making disciples of others. Making disciples has always been the task of all who believe in Jesus Christ. And we are given that mission also to proclaim Christ. Our mission is not to become faithful Catholics, not to be religious here on the grounds of our church, but our mission is to be kingdom builders, to spread the good news. This is the reason of Pentecost and Acts. It is not just the birth of the church. It is the transforming birth of each one of us, changing us, so we will embrace this task. So we will take this task upon ourselves and tell them that our God lives. And as we do this, the church will grow. We will grow in holiness. And our church will grow in holiness. And we will be effective witness and we'll be able to change those hearts that are hardened against God. See, the Spirit is not some added extra we can have in our lives. It is not some vague, elusive figure out there somewhere in the Trinity, but it is an essential necessity for us to live a holy life. It is an essential necessity for us to be able to pray. It is essential for us to understand the Scriptures so we could be powerful in our witness. 
the Spirit is given to us so that we can do the things that Christ did. And he told us that in the upper room, that we will do what he did and even greater things than he did we would do. That, my brothers and sisters, is the Pentecost given to us in chapter 2 of Acts. Now let's look at the Pentecost given to us in John. John's Gospel, Gospel, chapter 20. That describes the infilling of the Spirit in a simpler way. Jesus simply breathes on the disciples. That image of breathing connects the gift of the Spirit with the same image of God breathing life into the lifeless body of Adam at creation. The second story of creation, as it is called in Scripture. Adam, formed out of the clay of the earth, was lying lifeless, and God approaches him and breathes into his nostrils, and Adam comes alive. And Jesus breathes into the disciples. See, the Scriptures show us that what God did in a physical way in the Old Testament, Jesus begins to do in a spiritual way in the New Testament. So we become spiritually alive by the breath of the Spirit blowing within us. So that breath of God at creation, that beginning of new life for Adam flowing from God into his creation, Jesus breathes the same Spirit into us, this breath of God, flowing from God into us, his creation, and changing us, bringing us to a spiritual new life. And by doing that, he shows us that this new life, this life of holiness that we desire, flows from Jesus into us. Jesus, who said to us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's showing us that this is where we draw our spiritual lives from, from the Spirit that He gave us, empowering us to pray, to pray from deep within us. As Paul says, with unutterable groans, as Spirit empowers us to read the Scriptures and understand it and apply it to our lives, it teaches us how to witness. And it teaches us as Jesus said, and reminds us, as Jesus said, of everything he ever did and ever said, we will know, because the Spirit will reveal to us. All our efforts to find a way to please God, to do things in our lives that are pleasing God, all these things, these things we do, that we believe will help us become holy men and holy women, will never work deep enough in us to change us as the Holy Spirit will. There is only one way to the Father, Jesus tells us, and that is by embracing Him and letting Him pour the Spirit into us, breathe this life of the Spirit into us. The role of the Spirit, Jesus tells us, is paramount for us 
to be holy men and holy women. John, right from the beginning of his gospel, in the very first chapter, tells us that Jesus will baptize us, not with water, but Jesus will baptize us with the Spirit. Jesus himself, in the discussion with the Samaritan woman, tells us that living water will well up in us to eternal life. Living water, another image of the Spirit. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus invites all of those who thirst to go to him and drink, stressing that if we believe in him, that rivers of living water will flow from him into us. And John, after Jesus says that, reminds us that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit when he said that. For he says the Spirit had not yet come. Living water. This another image of the Spirit. Jesus says, drink. It's yours. In Revelations, we are told again by John, Come, let the one who wants it receive this gift of living water. Come, if you want it, come and you will receive it. Isn't this always the invitation of Jesus? Come, follow me. Come and see. Come and drink. Come and eat. Come, and I will show you the Father. This is the Spirit we see in John's Gospel. This is the one that Jesus breathed and brought new life to the disciples, new spiritual life. So what you see at the moment of the resurrection, this Holy Spirit working internally in the disciples, internally in them, changing their hearts, transforming them, shaping them, motivating them, driving them to meditate, to pray, to seek, to want, to desire. And then 50 days later, we see the outpouring of the Spirit manifested in an external manifestation of the Spirit, empowering us outwardly to do the things that are happening within us internally. So one way the Spirit is in us, changing us interiorly, And the Holy Spirit is moving us outwardly to be bold witnesses of God's love and God's grace. Like the lifeless body of Adam, we come to life because of the Spirit. Like the dry bones, we come to life. And like the desert, that the water flows from the temple at Ezekiel's vision, that brings life all through the desert. This is what the Spirit does to us, brings us life spiritual life. We need the Holy Spirit in order to be holy men and holy women. We need the Holy Spirit to be disciples. Without the Holy Spirit, we are Christians, yes, because we believe. Without the Holy Spirit, we are faithful Catholics, yes, because we believe. But to be who God intended us to be, to find the meaning and purpose of our life, we need the Holy Spirit. And we don't become holy by acts of religious piety 
by religious practice or by any other means. And if you don't believe that, you just have to look at the way the Pharisees were admonished by Jesus. These faithful followers of the law, these faithful followers who never broke one law, were chastised by Jesus because he said their hearts were far from the, from him. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It centers our heart on Jesus. And the minute that happens, everything changes for us. And we see by the words of Jesus that our hearts will hunger for God by the action of the Holy Spirit in us. We will hunger for God. We will want more and more of God in our lives. We want more and more of the Word of God in our lives. We have a desire to pray, a desire to consume the Scriptures, a desire to serve the people of God. But we must keep in mind that these Scriptures were given to us to teach us how to live our faith. The Scriptures are God's revelation of Himself, so in them we discover the heart of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. We discover eternal life. So we must keep in mind that the writings of Luke and John do not stand as isolated events to be taken separately and cannot be applied to our lives separately from the rest of the gospel message, the rest of the scriptures. They have to be taken as a whole, not only complementing one another, not only building them upon one another as the two outpourings of the Spirit have. But this is what the Scriptures do for us. They are the entirety of the story of God's salvation. These two accounts of Pentecost are one single revelation that should grow and enrich in our understanding of Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit. John gives us a spirit that is essential to our spiritual lives, it is the new life promised to us by God, by becoming one with Christ, ye in union with Christ. It is the revelation of who Jesus is. In John, we find a spirit, an interior event that happens within us, but it cannot be so changing us that it cannot be contained. Then we must give glory to God just as Mary did. And we cry out, our souls magnify the Lord, and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior. This interior change within us is for the building of the kingdom, just as it was Luke. But it is a reception of the gift of the Spirit upon us, given to us at baptism, a Spirit that strengthens us each and every day, a Spirit that helps us deny ourselves and live according to God's will. We don't know much the truth about the prayers of the disciples in that upper room as they gathered, as Jesus told them, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. But we know the disciples received the Spirit 50 days earlier, so we know that internal transformation was happening. And John is telling us that interior conversion was happening within them as it happens within us. So we know that they were praying with expectant hearts, that they were drawing closer to God because their hearts were changing. 
and they began to understand certain realities of who Jesus Christ was and what his resurrection meant. And there was an anticipation. The difference between Luke's gospel and John's Pentecost is that in John, the Spirit who enables the mission by an internal transformation. In Luke, it becomes a physical transformation of wisdom, of understanding, being able to put it all together, the miracles, the clarity to tell other people about God and about the kingdom of God. Luke only shows us the external manifestation of receiving the Spirit. And if you read the epistles of Paul, you will see two manifestations that the Spirit converge into a charismatic manifestation of the power, confirming the word and the internal change brought about the transforming power of the Spirit. Paul's conversion was instant. He encountered Christ. He was brought into Damascus, and Ananias prayed over him for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And what happened internally within Paul was an instantaneous manifested with an external manifestation. The event of Pentecost is not just a birth of the church. No, my brothers and sisters, it is our birth. Our birth, the birth that Jesus said to Nicodemus would have to happen for us to enter the kingdom of God. We must be born of water and the Spirit. That same Jesus is now calling us and telling us we must be born of water and the Holy Spirit. And allow that spirit to guide us to holiness. To put ourselves in a, how do we put ourselves in a position to receive this spirit? How do we respond to the spirit when it is given to us? Haven't we received it already? And if we have, why aren't we aware of its presence within us? Why isn't it doing exactly what we just said it would do? All good questions, and these we will try to answer when we get together next week. May God bless you, and the Holy Spirit fill you. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.